Welcome back to the Active Faith Podcast, where we explore an active self-care lifestyle. My name is Andrew Ware. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. You know, this is more than just going for a run or a bike ride. These are conversations with others as we seek to build a theology of self-care together, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves in whatever way feels best for us as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. I am back from a two-week break, two weeks of vacation. It was both great and awesome, uh, but also not so great and awesome. Maybe a little bit more about that on a future episode. But today, this episode, we have episode 34 with Casey Van Atticaspear. And this is an episode that I have been looking forward to since I recorded it because Casey brings such an amazing perspective when it comes to talking about self-worth. They really put it into perspective of what it means to truly feel your own self-worth as a manner of self-care and what that truly means and and knowing that we don't need the affirmation of self-worth but there is this inherent nature in which we can claim our own self-worth to begin to take care of ourselves and i am so glad that casey uh has come on i'm so excited we recorded this episode before i went on vacation and now finally uh, i have had an opportunity to edit this episode and to bring it to you all so that we can listen and learn together. And so let's get in and let's jump into this conversation with Casey Van Atticaspear. All right, so we are here uh, with Reverend Casey today. We are joined uh, for this conversation. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well. You know, it's uh, it's really sunny and hot here in, uh, in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Uh, Having lived where you lived, I know it can always feel like a swamp up in Washington, D.C. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a time of year to stay inside. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so on that note, let's introduce you to our listeners. Casey, who are you? Where are you from? And then how do you practice self-care? Yeah. Um, well, I have the longest name in the history of the universe, and I didn't choose either of my last names, but this is what it is. So my name is Casey Van Atta Casebeer. Um, I serve currently as um, an associate pastor and director of family ministries at Foundry United Methodist Church. Um, currently, I am oriented towards the White House, which is about one mile that direction. Um, that's where our church is located on 16th Street. Um, I am a partner um, to my spouse. We've been married for almost 11 years. We have two kids. Um, my oldest is seven. His name is Cash, and my youngest is four. His name is Riggins. Um, and I have a little uh, teacup chihuahua named Zion. So, <laughs> oh. um, and I mean, how do I practice self-care? Well, um, to be transparent, sometimes not well, uh, but, um, when I am sort of practicing self-care and feeling really in tune with myself, um, then I'm, I'm reading, I am spending time with my family. I, um, enjoy swimming, which I'm sure we'll get to in a mm. little bit. Yeah. So those are just a few things. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons I love this podcast, because none of us are perfectionists at self-care, and we're all here to just learn something. I appreciate that honesty, because I know sometimes I am not a good practitioner of self-care, uh, but I still enjoy talking about it so I can keep on 
learning about it. Um, and so as, as we dive into the conversation, the next thing that I like to ask every guest is for you and just in general of your understanding of self-care, why is it important for you to practice self-care? Well, for one, I think it's, um, I think it's part of our baptismal covenant. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that I feel is, is, um, self-care as a term, right. Is something that has sort of been co-opted by like, um, capitalism (laughs) in a way. Um, and so often there's this, uh, movement towards understanding self-care as like spending money. Um, and I think what's really beautiful is reclaiming the idea of self-care as a part of who we are, who we are as baptized Christians, um, as people who are called to the tending of our souls and our bodies. Um, and, uh, I think saying yes to God is also saying yes to ourselves. And, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's an integrated thing. It's Mm -hmm. not an isolated sort of siloed idea that we have to go and outsource our self-care um, to, you know, spas or whatever. Like, I think it's um, in many ways, I think self-care is free um, yeah. and it just kind of costs us um, some self-reflection and perhaps trying to create some space. I, I will say this too, as a parent, like, sometimes self-care is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it requires us prioritizing time away, um, either from work, from our kids, whatever it is. And sometimes even just 30 minutes, um, can make you feel supremely guilty. And so, um, yeah, sometimes that's the work too, is just kind of figuring out how we can be okay with setting aside some time for ourselves. I think when I got into working in the church, I I had vocational guilt. So like, you know, you take that day off and you're like, what if someone needs me? And uh, and then you become a parent and you learn what like real parental guilt is like. Um, Yeah. And and it becomes a a, you know, we just uh, I I just wrapped up an interview yesterday um, that'll be coming out, um, you know, a little later on this week from when we're recording. But you know, of talking about boundaries and of being able to set those really healthy boundaries as we create self-care. And so as you are creating space for those different areas of self-care, because as we hear, it's not just taking a break from vocation, but even taking a break from family. Um, And those we love most, like I think out of all the people in the world, I love my family most, but I think there's still times where I need a break from them. Uh, so how do how do how do you uh, what is an understand that we can take from how do you understand and create space for those boundaries, especially in your family unit? It's hard, you know, I mean, marriage is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, like mm-hmm. hands down um, and, and parenting a close second for sure. Um, one of the things that I super appreciate about my partner is that, um, we have developed over the last probably three or four years, really good communication styles and, um, really healthy understanding of one another about one another's boundaries. And it's just very easy for me to say, Hey, like this 30 minutes I need, um, and he's super supportive and great, whether it's. I need 30 minutes, just, I need a touch break. I need to not be a jungle gym today, or Mm -hmm. I need like 30 minutes, just clear my head, whatever it is. Um, and then we just kind of negotiate, like, here's what are our non-negotiables? And mine is I need 30 minutes in the pool Mm -hmm. four times a week. Like I need that. Um, and you know, I picked, I picked a pool that like does not have self-service, like 
at all. I cannot be reached. Yeah. Um, couldn't be reached. I even even when I'm wearing my watch, because I'm wearing my watch in oh, that's the pool right, yeah. and it's connected to my phone. Yeah. I used to, when I was swimming at a different pool, I would get messages on my phone and I would look at them while I was swimming. Oh, no. And I was like, Casey, this is not okay. Like this is not okay. Um so but that, that was part of the boundary too, is just yeah. saying, like putting my phone on do not disturb. And then I have that added layer of like not having service. And like I am not reachable. I mm-hmm. unfortunately I'm not reachable. Come hell, high water, doesn't matter. I'm not reachable. Um, and it was a hard boundary to set. And um, I mean, that's the thing about boundaries, right? Is that yeah. people will hand you a book about boundaries and they'll talk about boundaries and whatever, but nobody really talks about like how hard it is. Like mm-hmm. it is hard to set and keep a boundary. There are, you know, times where it will create turmoil in your relationships, where it will cause people to think that you're not as perfect as, you know, you want them to think you are like, there are all kinds of um, relational aspects to boundaries that people um, really don't warn you about. And so, yeah, it's hard, but it's, it's worth it. It's I mean, worth it's, it. yeah, I mean, and it's so important and, and even doing it from the onset. I mean, I can think of, you know, whether it's getting to new appointments or like in the onset of having a kid or, I mean, I even remember like before I got married of having intentional conversations of saying, you know, this is what, this is what I need. This is what my wife needs, you know, um, understanding and knowing our needs and then creating spaces for that, um, I, you know, making sure that I'm communicating for me when I'm going out on a run or when, you know, my wife just needs, I think it was uh, like a couple of Sundays ago, uh, my wife just had a headache. And so um, the kids were just bouncing all over the bed and I'm like, all right, kids, let's go downstairs and let's let mama rest. Good move. <laughs> let's let Good mama move. rest and have some time away. And I mean, it's, it's in knowing, I think it's in knowing and understanding those boundaries that, that we take that honest reflection, even as we're practicing this life together. Cause I'm sure there are times when you and your partner, uh, you know, you can see in each other when you may need that. And I think being able to set those clear and present boundaries at the onset helps. Yeah, totally. I also think too, like it's never too young to teach your kids about boundaries. I Mm. mean, um, one of the things that I've noticed, it's so cool to see uh, your phrases and isms and the things that you do sort of come out of a tiny person. Like it's it's phenomenal and amazing. And um, I had a situation the other day where my seven-year-old, he, um, he, I could tell he was starting to get emotionally overwhelmed. And so yeah. I just kind of took a step back and he, he came to me and he said, I am feeling a lot of feelings right now. And I think I just need a minute alone. And I was like, Oh, that's what I say. I say, mm-hmm. I need a minute alone. Or um, like I said, touch break. Like they know what that means. Yeah. I taught my kids very clearly. Like when I say, you know, this is, and all of that is part of a conversation about consent. It's mm-hmm. part of conversations about how to, and especially for me, raising boys as they are now, like creating space for them to understand what a boundary looks like and to be very respectful of it. Um, and then to like, you know, if I'm like, tickling them or if we're having a little fight or whatever. And then they're like, mom, stop boundaries. I'm like, you win, you win, (laughs) you know? Um, But I think it's really important also to teach our kids that as well. And, and it comes into, and it, and it kind of transition, not transitions us, but it works us into this topic really well of, of, of why I wanted to bring you on the podcast. So as a little bit of backstory, Casey and I were, were co-guests on a podcast. That's kind of how we met uh, with uh, Hunter Brin in the Virginia Conference office. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I met Casey. And I followed her journey on 
you know, Instagram and I followed her own podcast that she has about parenting and about the messiness of parenting and all that stuff, um, which I'll make sure to tag. I'll tag it in the podcast notes for those parents <laughs> out there. It, I mean, it is just a great resource of just unpacking all of this stuff. And as I listen and hear you say that, one of the things that kind of stands out to me most as I look at, you know, the way that you interact with your kids or how how you post about your interactions with kids on Instagram. I, I want to be careful about how that's stated because I'm not stalking. I just, as it scrolls, right? As <laughs> yes, it scrolls well, it's down. There. Yeah, it is. Of course. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and as I listen to, to Casey reflect on her parent podcast, I just want to make it very clear. I don't, I don't stalk. I just, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of what she does because it's great information. So how does the, this conversation of boundaries can almost turn into this conversation of, of self-worth and acceptance? Um, because at some point in time, when it comes to setting boundaries, if I'm, th- if I'm thinking this like through fully, we have to accept, right, that we are worthy to be able to set a boundary. Right. We have to be we have to feel worthy. And I mean, that's a sad thing to say in our society. Like, I think we can all agree that that's a sad reality that we have, that we have to accept that we're worthy enough. Um, But what is that? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you as you say, self-worth is intrinsic to self-care. If we don't think that we are worthy, then why would we care for ourselves at all? And I'll just, I mean, I'll just be really transparent and vulnerable and say that there was a time, um, I'm a I'm a former college athlete, I play bat I play basketball in college. There was a point in time where I suffered um, you know, extreme amounts of trauma. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I sort of forced myself um into um, overworking, overtraining. Um, I would spend hours upon hours upon hours in the gym. Um, and, and what I've come to learn through therapy, which is a wonderful and amazing tool we have in our toolbox, Amen. um, (laughs) is that I had gotten to a point where I, I, I really thought that my body didn't matter. Mm. Um, and that my body was something that I could just train and work and overwork and overextend. And it got to the point where it was, it was really detrimental to me. Um, I had to get like, injections in my shins almost every couple of months from an orthopedic surgeon because I had done so much damage. Um, And so I think back to that moment of thinking that I wasn't worth more than what my body was worth. Um, And that if I could, if I could overtrain and get my body to a place where it could perform at max level, Mm -hmm. then I was worth something. And um, my son has started playing basketball and I, I'll be honest, there was a moment where I kind of prayed, like, let it be anything else. Like, Mm -hmm. I will learn the rules of lacrosse if I have to, but like anything else. Um, Not that I want him to be a lacrosse bro, but like, no, no offense to lacrosse bros. Um, But anyway, there was a moment where he started to to really fall in love with basketball and, and wanted to play basketball. And I had this overwhelming sense of like, what if he starts to put his worth in this thing? Um, in a way that I did. And it really, really broke my heart. And it was in that moment that it sort of unlocked and helped me realize that like, I mean, I know this is an active podcast and I love being active and I, you know, we've talked about that, but like, also I am worth more than what my body can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, that is the thing that makes me want to now 
care for it in a yeah. way um, that isn't detrimental to my health, um, mental, physical, spiritual, or otherwise. So. Yeah. And, and I think it's such a, it, it's a crucial acknowledgement um, that when we talk about that activity, that it becomes a way that our body, I, I don't want to say accepts that our body receives in a, in a well manner. Uh, I recognize that my body can do things that other person's bodies cannot, but that doesn't make their bodies or that doesn't make their spirits or their souls or anything else about them any less. Because And, and one of the things that I've learned on my own journey here is the way in which we celebrate others at any stage. You know, I can come in and I can have a completely phenomenal race and, you know, set a personal best for myself. And then recognize that the people who are coming in after me, the people who may even be at the back and, and, and just they're walking the entire race, like they're accomplishing phenomenal feats and they deserve probably more credit than I do because they're doing wonderful and amazing things, you know, beyond themselves as well. And I think that there's, and there's that understanding of, can we get to that place where that feels something that can help us? Right. Mm -hmm. Does that feel like something that can help us in a way, whether it's helping us mentally? You know, I know I have really tried like before I eat lunch just to go out and walk around like my church for five minutes. Now, for me, that looks a lot different than it does for you. You could just <laughs> take a stroll down to the White House, you know, talk to the president. I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, it, I don't know what the security no, I'm. FBI, CIA, Secret They're Service, listening. don't, don't listening. come after me. Don't come after me. <laughs> I stopped at the fence. Yeah. I stopped at the fence when I lived in D.C. Um, and Obama was president. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, kudos. Um, but, but yeah, so what it looks like for us to, to acknowledge that our body almost deserves to be cared for. And I wonder if that's a part of self-worth that sometimes we forget and we think that in order to care for ourselves, it has to look a certain way and it has to do a certain thing. And I love your naming of your own past um, that plays into that as you kind of begin to pass that mantle along to your kids. Yeah. Because um, I think that we can all get in that fear that what happened to me, you know, my story could be, could be the story. And I don't want my story to become my kid's story. I want them to have a healthy, you know, relationship, maybe with something that I didn't have a healthy relationship with. Um, so how do we, um, how do we bring in this idea of self worth into our practice of self care? We've 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 kind of scratched the surface a little bit, but but how do we begin to to make this an intentional part of our thought process? Do you think? I think, I mean, number one, I would say, and, and this is true for you as well, because mm -hmm. I've noticed, not that I'm a stalker, but I've noticed this also, is that um, surrounding yourselves with community um, and beloved community at that, mm -hmm. that recognizes and understands mutual sacred worth, um, which again is where this baptismal covenant sort of yeah. comes in, uh, is crucial, is so important. Um, none of us can do this alone. And so um, surrounding ourselves with that kind of, of support is is holy and sacred and crucial. Um, we can only tell ourselves um, so many things before our uh, lizard brain starts to take over. You know, I can, 
I, I, you know, we have a mantra at the end of the parenting podcast every week, and it's something that you can just say to yourself. And so um, I do believe that that saying things and even saying them out loud is a really powerful tool. Sometimes I will just say like something will crop up in my head because I'm a I'm a perfectionist and I'm, I'm not even recovering. That's just where I'm at. <laughs> um, and so uh, sometimes like my my mind will start to swirl into my worth is dependent upon how I execute this thing. Mm-hmm. And I will have to stop and say out loud to myself, no, Casey, no. Um, or your worth is not dependent on this thing. Um, or you like you are worthy right now. Um, and so I think I think speaking things out loud into the universe is always a good thing. Um, and also, yeah, like I mentioned, just that that crucial communal support. Um, and I mean, also like recognizing where you might be um, in relationships or experiencing um, some kinds of relationships that are causing a strain on your self-worth and creating a boundary. Um, so important. I love that understanding of sacred worth. Um, I think that that's something that we as humans, and I think you and I can comfortably name that we as the church often kind of fail to, you know, relate within folks. Um, and so what that looks like, you know, when we had this conversation about self-worth with Charlie Baber, you know, it was very much tied to Charlie's sexuality, uh, and the way that he, the way that he practices and identifies sexually with the greater world. Um, you know, you've talked about it a little bit in terms of how you and your body relate to the world and how you hope to raise your kids so that they know that they're inherently worthy and that they're sacred in that worth. And so I love this idea that we take this understanding of the sacred, right? And, and that's what I want to do here on active faith uh, is, is take that understanding of the sacred and attach it to our ability to care for ourselves and, and almost disjoint that from those unhealthy relationships that often get passed for self-care. Um, yeah. Because I think that in a lot of ways, you know, we've tried to perpetuate these ideals of self-care that they don't actually help. Um, you know, you can open any sort of, you know, you can look at any sort of like fashion show, you can look at any sort of like magazine, uh, you can look at any sort of understanding of gender dynamics, gender identity, sexual identity. I mean, you can look at any number of these things. And I think right now society is beginning to scratch the surface of trying to look a little bit deeper than that when it comes to those ideals. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because we've just created a culture where nobody is enough, um, period. Um, so if you are trans, perhaps mm-hmm. you're not trans enough, or yeah. if you're non-binary like I am, then I'm not um, androgynous enough. Or, um, I mean, if you, like, we can talk about the culture of self-care, but we also need to talk about the, about diet culture, about mm-hmm. fat phobia, about all of these things that have sort of permeated um, our society that is causing um, vulnerable people, um, particularly people of color, um, other minorities, uh, LGBTQI plus persons, um, those who are impoverished or experiencing homelessness. I mean, just think about all of all of those things yeah. um, and the way that culture is contr- is continually saying you are not enough. You are not enough. You are not mm-hmm. enough. Um, and so combating that 
uh, for ourselves as adults is really, really difficult because we've already, we've already sort of, you know, unless we've had some sort of extraordinary rearing, um, we've, we've just kind of come up in this way. And this is kind of what we were bathed in. Um, and I mean, I guess that was sort of Freudian because what we should be bathed in, right. Is this like, is this understanding of, um, water as a liberator. And for me, like, that's my story. Like I swim because water is the ultimate liberator. Mm. Um, and that connects so deeply with me and with who I am is, I mean, I find joy in the water and joy is something that I like I thought was the opposite of like self-control. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the fruits of the spirit lately, but, um, anyway, I just, I think that is so crucial. And I think that, um, that again, if we want to sort of reverse what has happened, we've got to, we've got to teach our kids something different. We've got to. And I mean, the way that we even think about how the sacred gets twisted then becomes an identity for what worth means, right? And in that, the more that we twist and manipulate our understanding of the divine, whether that, um, no matter what your religious tradition is, I think that, I mean, just use Christianity as an example, the way that people often try to twist and manipulate God often leads to harmful practices because there's an inherent change in an understanding of worth. And I think we can look at this. I mean, you can look at this in any tradition, not just faith traditions, but just cultural traditions that when the idea of sacredness becomes warped and twisted, the idea of worth then becomes warped and twisted as well, because you talk about this nature of joy and the way in which your understanding of joy becomes so attached to this one understanding that you experience what what we might consider like actual real joy, if we want to call it that, and it almost feels like, am I supposed like am I supposed to feel that way? Is this okay? Like is yeah. this is this okay? <laughs> like is this is this really all right? I mean, it, and it is weird. Well, I mean, I've. I've been thinking a lot about this. And so I um, have been thinking about how I used to think joy was kind of like a, it was prescriptive, like Mm -hmm. um, as, as a part of the fruit of the spirit, right? Like um, if you're feeling sad or whatever, just like rub some joy on it and twice daily. And then if that doesn't, you know, take care of it, then come back and see me. Um, I, I think I always thought that joy was joy was the byproduct of something else. Um, but thinking about joy as a source Mm -hmm. has been really, really, um, it's just been really profound for me lately. And thinking about joy as a source of creativity, thinking about joy as, um, for me, as someone who experienced exercise and training and, um, whatever, I mean, even when I was younger, um, some of my basketball coaches, I mean, it, it wasn't just borderline abuse. Like it was abuse. No. Yeah. And, and as somebody who, who experienced that, um, to, to think about joy as a source for, um, being active or being, or exercising, like I love being in the pool. I would do it all day, every day. It does not feel like a punishment to me. Um, and so making that sort of a shift in, in seeing, seeing joy as something of, of a source has been really liberating for me too. And, and I think self-care overall, and even when you bring in this idea of self-worth and acceptance, just reimagining feelings overall. Um, you know, we try, 
we try to in my household we really try and help our kids to understand okay what what is the feeling like what are you feeling right now and get them to spell it out and you know my daughter will come up and say oh well i'm sad and we're like all right well let's let's think about that for a little bit like why are you sad what's going in and we're not teaching her that sadness is bad because i don't i don't think any of us would think that sadness is bad but there's often a reason behind the sadness and when we understand yeah. the reason behind our sadness, it's not that it's going to bring joy or happiness, but I think at least in my therapeutic journey and my journey through therapy as well, uh, you know, again, great, great tool, great resource, 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, understanding our feelings can help us understand how to react when we have those feelings. Yeah. It also helps us draw boundaries, right? Like, <laughs> it's so important because if we don't, if, if we are constantly in a state of reactivity, Um, and, and that, um, absent from that is any sort of self-reflection, then there's no way we can actually create boundaries because we don't actually know where our boundaries are. Um, what we, what we do is we shut off the Mm -hmm. valves. So we, uh, end relationships, we, you know, move on past things because we don't know how, um, to even start to create a boundary. And that is a boundary in and of itself. Ending mm-hmm. something is a boundary and sometimes a necessary one for sure. But I think, um, I think this self-reflection piece is, is so, so important when it comes to taking care of yourself for sure. I think one of the greatest things that I learned, um, and I wish I had learned it in anger management when I went through anger management in high school, but I did not because they taught me just to not be angry, which I yeah, thought just, was asinine. Just don't um, be angry. <laughs> but, but when, when, when my anger can be used for good, (laughs) if that makes sense, like, you know, and, and I, 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 no, I'm just gonna do it. So like, especially with like the recent Supreme court decisions, like just the amount of like tangible anger that I have had with the Supreme court decisions. And it's just like, I'm just like, all right, well, what is like, unpack it, unpack it. And what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Um, and like, you could probably hear and, and listeners, you could probably hear like there, like there's real anger behind that voice because it, it's something that I care about. Um, whether it's, whether it's, you know, the, the Dobbs case, whether it is, um, uh, the, um, the gun control case, which I cannot remember the name now. Um, I mean, whether it's, whether it's any of the other number of cases that I was just like, this is just terrible and awful, like human rights, you know, just a- essential care you know, people being able to do what they need to do in order to keep themselves safe. And it was just like, like I had a week where it was just like rising anger. Um, And I don't know that I've ever been so motivated to do anything ever in my life. Um, You know, the school shooting, uh, the one in Uvalde, Texas. I remember right after the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, I like dropped my son off at school and I just broke down. And it wasn't like a sadness. Like it was a very tangible anger. Like I gave him a hug and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm, I'm going home, I'm driving. And then just like that Sunday in my sermon, I, I apologized to my conversation for doing it, but I just let it out. And some of yeah. my folks were like, I think that's one of the best sermons you've ever preached. Yeah. And I think when we understand and know how to treat our feelings, it, it, it becomes a boundary. Yes. But we understand our inherent worth to be able to have those feelings. Yeah. And how important that becomes. And then I want to focus on this aspect because I think this is something that you've really kind of opened the Pandora's box on, for lack of a better term, is is the way we help our kids. Because part of self-care, especially as parents, at least for me, and it seems like it is for you, 
part of my self-care routine is raising kids who feel comfortable caring for themselves. Oh, my entire goal is that oh, yeah. they don't need me anymore. <laughs> I mean, they'll well, always need me, yeah, but you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, um, it's, it's so funny. I was just talking about this recently because when I go, um, every year when I go on ASP, my, my kids go to like camp grandparents and they yep. go back to Nashville where we're from and they spend a week with my grandparents and my grandparents, I mean, they, they have this like sprawling backyard and like a crick up in the holler and like basketball goals and all kinds of stuff. And, um, they, you know, they do some hard work while they're there and they do, you know, I called, uh, rigs at one point and I was, you know, I was on ASP, um, doing construction. And so I called rigs and I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm doing instruction. And I was like, are you making fun of me? Um, and he, no, they were building a garden bed. Um, so anyway, <laughs> they go out and they do this thing um, every, you know, whatever. Um, and then my, my kids come back and they're like, mom, will you get me some water? Mom, will you do this? Mom, will you do that? And I'm like, what has happened? And come to find out yeah. my grandmother is doing everything for them oh, yeah. all the time because she's a grandmother and that's what she can do, you know? But it's so, it's so funny because Greg and I were talking about that recently about how um, my entire goal. I mean, when Cash learned how to use the microwave, like I probably celebrated for days. Like yeah. it, it was my favorite thing. Um, and so I want them to be self-sufficient, but I also want them to, to feel empowered and know. Um, and so if it takes a little longer for us to get out the door because my seven-year-old is tying his shoes, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, Velcro. If, yeah, well, that too. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, I think I think that's so important, so so important. Bodily autonomy yeah. is huge. Um, and I, you know, the moment that my kids were able to put their shirts on, their shorts on, their shoes on, whatever, I'm like, this is your thing. This is how you care for yourself. You brush mm -hmm. your own teeth. You do this. Um, and um, so yeah, that's that's been really important in my parenting yeah. as well. My, 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 my child can make coffee. That's the greatest achievement that I think I've ever had in my life. Um, that is next level. That is next level. <laughs> um, he'll, so luckily, like I, I just drink black. He, now, when I say make coffee, I don't mean like he pours the grounds in the maker. We supervise him when he tries to do that. Yeah. But I have, I have a, I have a spouse who is very particular about how much sugar and, and cream goes in her coffee. My son can do that. Now I drink black <laughs> coffee. So all you got to do is pour it in a cup and yeah. I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I just think about the way that, and, and even in that, the way that we help give our kids freedom to understand that they can make their own decisions, right? You know, I, I, the world looks at toddlers who dress themselves and they know exactly what that looks like. But to me as a parent, like it brings me the greatest joy. The only time it really irritates me is when like my daughter puts on like a long sleeve sweater and it's like a hundred degrees out with like 95% humidity. I'm like, I'm like, can you just like a short sleeve shirt? Just, and she's like, no. And I'm like, all right, 10 minutes. You're gonna I've started, you know what? I've started, I've started keeping an extra set of like clothes on yeah. me or in the car. And I've just been like, okay, wear it. And then, you know, 30 minutes from now, you're screaming about being hot. And I'm, that's the only way they learn. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only way they learn. And yeah. now, and my seven-year-old, he did it once. He wore this, like, this Minecraft onesie that was, like, Sherpa and, like, so hot. This was, like, two days ago. And I was like, Cash, please. You are going to be so hot. He was like, no. So I brought an extra pair of clothes. And we got in the car. We were about to go to the basketball court. And we are about to get out. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? It's so hot. And I was like. 
bet you won't do that again. Yeah. And he, he, he will not. <laughs> well, and then it, and, and, and it teaches them their own self-care routine, right? Because they have to figure out, they're figuring out how to do these things. They have to figure out when they need to speak up for themselves, you know, and it's not that, I don't think anybody would accuse us as parents who do these things of like cruel and unusual punishment for making our kids, you know, know that they're responsible for X, Y, Z. But to let our kids know, like, yes, you need to communicate with me and you need to let me know, like, like, what are your needs? And there are going to be places and there are going to be times where my, you know, 33 year old self is going to need to be of a little bit more assistance to my six year old child. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we make sure that they're able to communicate. Like I got downstairs this morning. It was about time for me to leave for work. And my kids are like, I want breakfast. Uh, or my daughter was like, I want breakfast. Now, I mean, she's four and is still learning. And my six-year-old just comes in and is like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pour you a bowl of cereal and milk. And I'm like, sweet, I'm off to work. I'll see y'all later. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and, Caring, and, ca- teaching them to care for one another's needs. Yeah. I think I, I posted this recently, but like watching my two kids love each other is mm-hmm. the most ridiculous gift from God in the entire universe. Um, so mine are seven and four. And I, I watch them do that all the time. And it is just, um, yeah. It is, it is just phenomenal. I love it so, so, so much. And then it's like that extra five minutes that you get to sit down, right? Cause, yeah. Cause they, cause one <laughs> does something for the other. It's like, you know, they come up and the, 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 the smaller one's like, can I have breakfast? And you're like, oh yeah, sure. Let me get up and get it for you. And then the other one's like, oh no, I'll get it. And I'm like, cool. Praise I'll God. just, I'll just Praise stay God. in this chair for <laughs> um, five more minutes and uh, practice my unhealthy uh, habit of scrolling Twitter in the morning. Um, yeah, guilty. <laughs> guilty. Um, but yeah, and I mean, there's so much. There, there's so much as you unpack this self-worth conversation because the way, I mean, it just continues to show the way that we practice self-worth and the way that we understand self-worth, it continues to be a societal conversation. Yeah. Um, and it's almost one of those things where we hope to leave this world better than we got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that especially you and I, as you know, as millennial in that millennial generation era time frame, um, you know, oftentimes we can look back and say, y'all haven't really practiced self-care that well. Um, <laughs> and especially myself, I won't speak for you, but stepping into pastoral appointments and following pastors who don't, who have never practiced fair boundaries. Yeah, um, it's hard. And, and I'm going to, I'm just going to advocate for my wife because she doesn't listen to my podcast. Um, <laughs> but Pastor spouses that yeah. like don't set healthy boundaries with churches, pastor partners that don't set healthy boundaries. Like, I mean, I cannot tell you the amount of times that, and I feel bad that I have to like fight my wife's battles. Like when I shouldn't, because it's like, Oh, your wife needs to do this. I'm like, no, no, she doesn't. Like you're like, you're paying me. You're paying me to do things. So like, I'll tell them, I'm like, you know what? If you want her to do something, you can ask her yourself. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that she's probably going to say no. <laughs> also, let me just say a thing. You don't have to say this. Let me say it. Um, do you know how many times somebody has done that to my spouse? Oh, I, oh man. No, not even once. Mm. Because there is mm. a double standard. There is. And, and women who are spouses of male partners or whoever that are in, that are clergy are historically and whatever, um, 
expected to show up in a, in spaces, in church spaces, in ways that male partners are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just the truth. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think that's so great that you're standing, um, sort of in between and being that space for her and allowing her boundaries to be heard and set. So important and, and yeah. such a gift. Really. Well, and I mean, even to take that conversation of double standards, I mean, there are so many ways that it becomes difficult for <clears throat> for women in the church to even be able to like practice their vocation because yeah. a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I was in the ordination process, like I got just so much grief for not wearing a robe. Um, now, one, I I sweat even in the winter, like it's summer and it's humid. Yeah. Um, like you want to talk about sweat, like in the summer, I sweat in the winter. I sweat. If I lived in Antarctica, I would sweat. So a robe, (laughs) a robe is like torture for me. Miserable. It's horrible. Um, and so, and so I told him, I said, well, I'm just like, I'm not comfortable in a robe and just like the amount of grief. And so, and I wear bow ties and like at my previous appointment, like apparently they're not ties. Like I didn't know this. I didn't know this argument existed that bow ties are not ties when tie is in the name. And like constantly being, and and I say this with every like ounce of understanding of what women go through, like having my outfit judged each and every week. And I remember going into a provisional meeting and just like reflecting, cause it was like me and four other women in my provisional group and one, one other guy. And I was just like, I, I, I felt the need to apologize because I was like, not that I had ever done anything like that. I felt like was like against a woman as like, she was trying to be who she is and, you know, dress the way she felt comfortable dressing. But it's just like, I just didn't realize like, and that was only just an ounce. Like I did not receive any of the amount of stuff that, I, but those double standards that they pick away at your self-worth, they pick well, away at it. Yeah. I mean, here's a prime example. I, there was this trend on Twitter recently where it was like, introduce yourself as the worst feedback you've ever gotten. Oh gosh. Um, nope. <laughs> nope. Um, and- Enneagram, Enneagram three. So no, like oh. just going to stay away from that. Yeah. Just stay away so- from that. I'm a one, yeah. um, which, you know, uh, my righteous anger, when you were talking about anger, I was like, I've got that too. Um, <laughs> but so there, there is something unique about that is, that is um, similar across like the gender binary. Um, and that is that when we put ourselves in the pulpit, for some reason, people feel like they have claim over our body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed this really, really strongly um, when mm-hmm. I was pregnant and I got up to preach one Sunday, I was I was very pregnant. I was, you know, past 30, the 30 week point. Um, and <laughs> we were doing handshakes at the door and this, this man came by and no. he's like, yeah, this man came by and he was like, I just want you to know, I couldn't focus on a word you were saying because, um, all I could see was that belly and you're too pregnant to be up there. Um, and you really should have somebody else preaching for the rest of your pregnancy. And I mean, I was floored. I was floored because I would get, I would, I would get all the things you get about clothes and whatever, but like for somebody to literally speak about my body in that way, as if my Mm -hmm. body was a hindrance to their being able to hear the gospel of which it was Advent. And if you can't hear the story of Advent from a pregnant body, get 
I mean, that will make me say curse words on your podcast. <laughs> get out of here. Get out. I can put an explicit rating on this one if you like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. that is what I want to say. Is like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so... I mean, that among other, I mean, if like, we really don't want to get into this, but the the sheer level and amount of sexual harassment that I have endured as a member, as a clergy member in the United Methodist Church is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I just recently in the Tennessee conference, after having reported sexual harassment of a fellow clergy member three years ago, Mm -hmm. just recently, um, because he did it to someone else who was the wife of a male clergy person and the male clergy person reported it. That's when it was heard. And just recently that person had their orders, um, taken away and they're no longer a clergy person in the United Methodist church, but it's insane. The sheer amount is just and, insane. And we want to talk about self-worth. Like we want to talk yeah. about people feeling like, whether it's their physical, their mental, their emotional, their spiritual, like we talk about part of self-care being feeling worthy that you deserve it or that to accept this understanding that 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 you are worthy to care for yourself. I mean, like I I can't even begin to imagine. I, I mean, I've sat down with folks who have been victims of sexual harassment, sexual assault, you know, I have sat down with folks who have been in in traumatic situations where their sense of self-worth was robbed of them in a moment. And and we wonder like why we as a society like struggle with this. And especially in the church. I mean, look at the Southern Baptist Convention. Like they, Do we they have I to? mean no, we don't. No, we don't. Talk about some righteous anger. Casey is about to go off. Casey is about to go off. But yeah. I mean I mean, when and, the systems are created to um, to continually um, to continually. <laughs> no, yeah, no. This is a, it's an important conversation, and like yeah. this is why. And like, and 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 you talked about swimming and basketball earlier, but but like, I, I've kind of made this transition of the podcast because I've realized that the self care aspect becomes so much more vital and important. And it becomes attached to that physical activity. But like, these are the conversations that like become a part of that because you talked about like your basketball past and, and the, the, the trauma that was associated with that. And it's the same thing across other aspects of our society. Right. Well, and let me just give a, a trigger warning. I didn't go into detail when I was sharing earlier, but let me just give a trigger warning about sexual assault because what happened to me in college mm-hmm. was I experienced sexual assault and then I was like, well, I guess my body doesn't really matter all that much. And that is the message that I received. Um, and as I, as I moved through um, sort of, sort of this throwing away of my body because that's what had happened is that my Mm -hmm. body was just thrown away. Like it was garbage. Um, that I didn't really actually get to reclaim the gift that my body is until I had children, until I saw what my body could do, what, what my body was capable of. And until I had somebody listen to me and hear me and validate that what I experienced is not because of me. And that's not a message that people are hearing very often. And especially going through just a, just a sexual harassment claim in the church and having to wait three years before somebody says to me, I see you, 
I hear Mm -hmm. you. This should not have happened. This is not your fault. Um, And even as a 33-year-old person who has also held the hands of people who have experienced sexual harassment and has no problem telling them those things, it's almost impossible for me to hear them from myself. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when the systems are designed this way and when it is, is, um, you know, when they're we work in a patriarchal system. It's just the way that it is. And, um, yeah, but when, (laughs) when those systems are designed to create spaces for men to feel powerful and worthy, um, then the byproduct of that is always that, um, that others don't get to experience, um, that same privilege. And, and, and for our listeners, you know, as you listen to that story, I'm sure you noticed like, as soon as Casey started talking about that self-worth, right? And then that self-worth, you know, drops and the self-care drops. Yeah. And it's not until, you know, the self-care goes back up. And I think that there's a relationship for all of us in that. Um, You know, folks heard it in the episode with Charlie. Folks have heard it now. I mean, they've heard it in other folks' stories. I I don't think beginning the conversation of self-care with self-worth becomes such a vital and important thing because without it, either our understanding of self-care becomes so warped that, you know, it becomes that spa day. I don't know. Like, or (laughs) we think, or, I mean, I, I reflect on the running world and Mm -hmm. the amount of, and specifically right now, um, just because I'm from the coaching sphere, specifically the amount of women who go through what they go through in the running world in terms of body image issues that then develop eating disorders that then develop stuff like relative energy deficiency syndrome, which affects so many parts of their bodily autonomy that are necessary for them to function. Yeah. And it all began, you know, when they felt like the way that they were, the way that they looked, the way that they acted was not meeting a standard, you know, air quotes, a standard that was acceptable in society. Um, and yes, I will fully blame a lot of male coaches in that space who just did not and just pushed pushed athletes to the brink where it was not in a healthy situation. Um, I, I hope think- that we can, you know, do better. Men, yeah. men, we can do better. We can. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um- the self-worth conversation, just something that popped up for me as you were talking about that is that sometimes we, um, I mean, let's just be honest, like how many people move through addiction, um, and sort of come out on the other side and become addicted to like CrossFit. Like Mm -hmm. it's a thing, right? Um, and so that's why the, the central work of addiction is working through Um, kind of what's going on on the inside. And so I think having a healthy relationship with exercise is just as important as having a healthy relationship with, you know, people, with substances, with whatever, like healthy relationships are the key um, to keeping our souls intact. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that, um, you know, the way that we, the way that we are in communion with our bodies um, has to do with how how we care for them and having a having that sort of healthy relationship is so 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 important. Yeah, I'll often highlight for people that there are not a lot of things that are actually condemned in the Bible. 
Um, I, I, I've read it a few times. Um, there are not a lot of things that are actually condemned, um, but it's the way in which things are used yeah. that are condemned. Yeah. And a lot of times it stems from abuse of things. Yeah. So like people will often like, you know, they'll point to alcohol or they'll mm -hmm. point to, I mean, sex, they'll point to all these things. And it's like, no, it's not that it's, you know, condemned. It's just, you need to have a healthy relationship with it. Yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the things for me. I had to find a healthy relationship with a lot of things in my life because of past folks who have abused it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there, I think that there's a lesson in that for a lot of us of, and we're just circling right back to the beginning, right? There's an understanding <laughs> of boundaries. Like yeah. how, how are we setting our boundaries and creating the space in our lives for us to be able to have healthy relationships, whether they're relationships with physical things um, or whether they're relationships with people or whether they're relationships with communities. Um, yeah. and, and I love that you also pointed out that sometimes a relationship with someone means that we don't see them. We don't talk to them. We have no interaction with them because that's, that's the healthy relationship for us. And I, and, yeah. and I'll say that there's a blessing in that. Um, yeah. because, and forgiveness to, to name for folks that forgiveness exists in that space, but forgiveness does not mean that we continually allow the person or situation to cause harm in our lives. Sometimes it means that forgiveness means that we also need to create space for something to not harm us in the future. Yeah, um, that's, that's so, mm -hmm. so important. Um, and especially important for our LGBTQIA plus siblings, mm -hmm. Um, recognizing where those relationships are strained beyond repair mm -hmm. and or are just causing harm in the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really important to be able to draw that that hard boundary. I mean, this has been this has been a great this has been a great discussion. I mean, I've loved this, friends. I know it, it's been a little heavy, um, but you know, when it comes time to talking about self care, sometimes these conversations get really deep, and I love that. Uh, Casey has come on here and, and really opened up her spirit for us. Uh, Casey, let's let's run through some of these end of podcast questions real okay. quick. Uh, so what is something you have done that makes you feel accomplished? Oh, um, the other day I was at the pool um, and I overheard, I was sort of in my own world reading my book, but mm -hmm. and my kids were in the pool and I overheard this guy say to um, this other person, they were, they were having a conversation and he was like, do you see those two boys over there? And they were like, yeah. And he was like, um, those two boys are the sweetest, most respectful kids that I've ever met. And they actually make me think that I could have children. And I was like, oh. subtle mom brag, not so <laughs> subtle mom brag. Like, um, yeah. I mean, literally like, again, hardest thing I've ever done is parenting yeah. and, and kids. So what is an upcoming goal that you have? Oh, I'm um I'm gonna run a 5K in October. Ooh, yeah, um, you got this. I do. I have this. Um, I'm very this. excited, and um, it's for St. Jude, and it's here in DC, nice. and we're um me and uh, my best friend Kaylin, we're like raising money, and um it's gonna be awesome. I've been calling it a 5K. So very nice, very <laughs> nice. Love it, love it, love it. Love it. Um, friends, if you want to, if you want to help raise money for St. Jude, yes. uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get the information in the podcast notes. Uh, I always love 
helping to raise some money for 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 the kids and yeah uh saint jude is just a great great organization so good um and the last question who do you go to when life gets tough You know, it's like you sent me these questions ahead of time so that I could look at them and have answers for them. <laughs> um, who do I go to when life gets tough? God, me. 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 Okay. I like. I have. I have withstood so much. I have overcome so much, um, and I have done that through like the help and support of people who love me. I've done that with God's help. Um, but I do this thing where I just kind of sink into myself. Mm. It's something that Glennon Doyle talks about. Yes. And when things are tough, I go and I sit in my closet and I sink into myself and I listen to what the God in me is saying. And I believe them. Mm -hmm. And and then I do something about it. That's what I do. Because as Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. And we yes. can be different and still belong to each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, this has just been so awesome. So amazing. Casey, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What an episode. Uh, like I said, at the top, you know, I recorded this before I went on vacation. So it has been sitting on my hard drive for uh, uh, over two weeks now, almost three weeks at this point in time when you all are listening to it. Uh, if you listen to this as soon as it comes out, but I, I really just wanted to take it straight from the recording platform and just put it right into the podcast stream. But I wanted to take an opportunity. I wanted to, to make sure that this episode uh, sounded great. I wanted to make sure that uh, nothing was was wrong with the audio like I always do in the editing. And so I wanted to, to take that time to get away from the editing uh, and, and just sitting down and listening to it again as I edited this episode was an amazing reminder of everything that has gone into Casey's journey and all of the things that they have done to bring them to where they are today. And so, you know, putting that into perspective, when we begin to think about this nature of self-worth, as Casey talked about, when it comes to self-worth, they reminded us that we are worthy, that by the very nature of being a human being, of being uh, a, a, a part of creation, we are worthy to, to care for ourselves. Uh, and we deserve that, that sort of understanding in our lives. It may not be the easiest thing to do. And you heard from Casey's journey, the times in, in their life when it was easy to care for themselves and when it was harder to care for themselves. And we all have those ebbs and flows and it is nice and it is there and it is part of our journey. But one of the things we have to remember is exactly what Casey reminded us of, and that is that nature of self-worth. Because when our self-worth is low, it becomes difficult to truly and honestly care for ourselves. We see, looking back in our own journey, looking back at Casey's journey, I look back at my own journey, and I know that the times when I felt less worthy, whether by other people or by other people's standards, were the times where I struggled to care for myself the most. And I think that that probably rings true for a lot of us. And so, like I said, I wanted to, to piggyback on that conversation that I was able to have with Charlie Baber not too long ago, back in June. 
And I wanted to bring this episode with Casey so that they could bring their perspective to this conversation as well. A perspective that helps us to know, understand, and grow deeper in this theology. And so I want to thank y'all so much for listening to this episode, for, for hearing about Casey's journey, hopefully engaging in their journey as you continue to learn and grow yourselves. You know, I always encourage it, but let me know what you love. Uh, let me know what stands out to you, what you're taking from this episode. Uh, and, and you can do that. You know, thank you for listening to this conversation. And you can do that. You can participate in that way over in our active faith community on Facebook. That is a Facebook group where we support, we encourage one another. We have opportunities for reflections on episodes as well as posting uh, uh, encouraging and supportive posts for one another, uh, our own self-care journeys. And so I encourage you to hop on over there. Um, and then don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Uh, and while you're there, uh, you, please rate and review this podcast if you can on that platform or hop on over to Apple Podcasts. You don't even need to subscribe or have an iPhone or a, an Apple computer. Just hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Let me know that you're loving this podcast or, or let me know what we can continue to work on together as a community. Or if you have a guest suggestion, uh, feel free to use my contact information, uh, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, any number one of those things uh, to get in touch with me, to let me know if you have a great guest suggestion or you would like to be a guest on this podcast, you know, come on down. Um, I'd love to take a moment and thank my patrons uh, over on Patreon, David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, and Amy Dane. If you are interested in supporting this podcast right along those three awesome individuals, please head on over to patreon.com slash running rev. That's running without a G, running rev. Patreon.com slash running rev. You can support this mission and ministry that is this podcast, that is this community uh, that hopefully might help me to be able to take on some more projects as we continue to learn and grow. And friends, I am right there alongside of you learning and growing myself. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm doing as I'm learning and growing is starting this Sunday. So two days from when this episode comes out, I am going to be starting a sermon series here at my church on self-care. And not only am I going to put those where I regularly put my sermons in my church's podcast, but I'm also going to post them to this podcast feed as well, uh, because I am trying to dive scripturally uh, into this understanding of self-care and reflect on it in a theological manner. And I know, like, coming at it from a church perspective, but sometimes when we talk about healing, healing the, the scars and the pains that we have from the church... Um, at least for me, I like the opportunity to dive into where the where we see that the church actually should be, not where the church is. And so if you're in a place where you're struggling with church uh, and, and you don't want to listen to those episodes, that's fine. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But, but really, as I encourage you, if you are seeking a, a phase of deconstruction or a phase of reconstruction from a phase of deconstruction, to listen to these because hopefully in these sermons, I will help to unpack this nature of self-care and how we as a church can be better caring for ourselves so that we can care for others better. Uh, so on that note, I'm going to wrap this up. You know, don't forget to share, share and invite your friends to listen to this podcast. You can use Facebook, Instagram, and if you tag the podcast at Active Faith Pod on Facebook and Instagram, uh, I'll give you a huge shout out. I love doing that. I love seeing people enjoy the podcast. And now may God bless each of us and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.